Welcome into the Esports Network podcast, where we discuss, uh, you know, the the brands surrounding esports, the players, the coaches at times. But, you know, really, those brands are a big part of the industry. If You know, without those brands, you can't really get those fans to kind of come in and, and engage with the esport. And so... Brands are, a, are the big topic of today. And so we're here to help me discuss kind of what he's doing in, in, in brand marketing for not just esports, but really any kind of, of business these days. Let's welcome in Patrick Womack, the CEO of LiveHive. Patrick, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to come on the show and, and talk with us about this. Th- thanks for having me today. I'm glad to be here. So a little bit of background on you, Patrick. Uh, you've had, uh, what, 200-plus apps across iOS, Google Play, and Amazon as the CEO of, of Red Rhino Games, 200 million downloads to your to your name, and you spent the last 16 years kind of steering successful enterprises you know, for online marketing, tech, energy. So you safe to say you, you're pretty well experienced in the, in the brand marketing uh, industry. Yeah, I mean, I would say I'm pretty experienced just overall. I mean... Uh you, you mentioned Red Rhino Games. I mean, Red Rhino Games was actually the accumulation of uh, and consolidation of various acquisitions. And so my background in energy was primarily acquisitions. I handled acquisitions and divestitures. So, um, you know, I, I know how to buy companies and how to buy companies right. Uh, and I know how the proper way to structure companies to really maximize, uh, to, to put them in position with cap table and everything where you can give them uh, not only investor, you know, bring in investors, et cetera. So you, you have to set companies up the right way. And the way we did Red Rhino Games is really set that company up where we could actually take what was there and actually scale it further. And that's what we did with most of those acquisitions. I mean, most mm-hmm. of those acquisitions under my management, uh, we took revenues up five to 10x uh, over, wow. you know, a nine year period. Uh, and that was the plan. That's awesome, man. And and uh, let's get into that little, little bit of that background then really quick. So you obviously you spent 10 years at Red, 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 Red Rhino Games. You helped launch over 200, 200 apps, like I said. Uh, what were some important lessons you learned in that space? Was it, you know, just that, that you brought into you into with uh, with LiveHive? Well, what I learned is, and, and I didn't launch, you know, fully 200 apps. I mean, we had in our portfolio 200 apps. Some of those have been launched. But what I what I did learn is that, you know, revival of products. And, and that there are ways to revive products by, you know, reintroducing uh, better fitted content to that audience. And so some of those apps and games that we had, um, you know, we, we revived those. I mean, we, we brought those, those games and apps back to life by introducing new content that really, you know, w- was better fitted to the audience at the time. And I think that the original developers, when we acquired those applications, we acquired a lot of products and we had a lot of dead products. So that was part of our like reorganization plan to get these companies you know, to the revenue standards that I feel that we could have achieved well, was simply by realigning those products with the proper audience and, and really getting that content in front of that audience. And that was a crucial part of that. And what I learned in the gaming space is it's all about content. Mm-hmm. I mean, essentially it's two things that you really focus on. You focus on content and engagement. Yep. And uh, if you have the wrong kind of content, you won't have the engagement. Uh, but, but even if your content, uh, you know, even if you have high engagement uh, and, and you have, you know, mediocre content, you can always improve that content and even, you know, take the engagement to higher levels. So that's what we always focused on doing was, well, you know, because, you know, in, in the game space, you're dealing with people that have attention span of like five-year-olds. <laughs> so you really have to capture them quickly and you really have to get them engaged in it very, very quickly. I mean, there's a lot of saturation. There's a lot of competition in the marketplace. Um, you know, it's, it's very oversaturated. 
So you really have to like make that connection quickly. And, uh, and I, I think that's what we learned to do and we learned to do it effectively. And obviously uh, we, we were able to benefit uh, on a global basis as a result. Well, so so obviously we know everybody who, who has a phone. They all play games on it occasionally. But really, I don't think we understand just just how big this mobile space is for for content and for engagement. I mean, just in your own words, how big is the space? Is it, is it a huge market that still is yet to be fully tapped, or is it still kind of just a a growing, slowly, gradual pace for this mobile industry? Oh, it's it's you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely massive and, and it's only going to get bigger. And I think it's having a lot of problems right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in the old days, I say the wild, wild west days, I mean, you didn't have all these laws on privacy and consumer data and things like that. A lot of that's kind of coming into fruition. Now it's really setting the tone and the precedent for, you know, as, as a lot of these companies move forward, uh, you know, you used to be able to collect a lot more information. You had a lot more data, things that you could dig into. And, and I think that data matrix is, is going to, it, it, you know, a lot of that is going to go away. Um, but look, what I will say is, is that it's super saturated. And the problems that I see in the mobile space alone is that right now, you know, you have a really saturated game space, but, but also the cost of games is going up. And, and so are the cost of acquiring users for mm-hmm. those games is going up while revenues are going down. And, and that's primarily because of users becoming immune to, uh, you know, traditional monetization techniques that a lot of consumers, you know, a lot of consumers used to fall for. And nowadays they become immune to those techniques. And as a result, you know, the revenues for a lot of these games are going down. So, you know, you're seeing a lot of consolidation. People, companies are having to buy other companies to really consolidate in their networks and really expand their network at the same time. You see companies that are reaching out and they're buying actual you know, marketing platforms. I mean, they're actually buying marketing platforms like Chart Boost. Mm-hmm. You know, there was an acquisition there. Um, so, you know, you're seeing a lot of that uh, that's happening in that space. But the, the real concern I have is that the, the cost to acquire users is skyrocketing mm-hmm. along with the cost of the games. And, you know, th- these games have higher production value. And uh, that's really, in my opinion, spoiling the users. Because the users are used to seeing a certain level of production value and they'll refuse to play something that, that doesn't meet those standards. And so you, you've got a real dichotomy over there. It's really a mess. I, I think it will sort <laughs> itself out. Uh, it's a free market. It eventually will sort itself out. Uh, but but I, I think it's having some problems. Uh, it's certainly not a space I'd be wanting to develop games in right now. I think that a lot of people are going to consoles as a result. Right. And it's just it's uh, it's like it's the growing pains of an industry that's kind of getting a little bit too big for its britches right now. But I think at some point everything will resize itself and, and accommodate itself just fine. You mentioned that it was earlier in your career it was like the Wild West of uh, in terms of marketing and gaming. How has that changed uh, since you've been involved? Uh, I mean, is it is it more or less still the same? Is it still kind of crazy or is it? Oh, well, there were no rules. No, yeah, right. I, I don't mean to cut you off. <laughs> no, go ahead. But, you know, there were no rules, you know, Kevin. I mean, there, there were no rules at all. Uh you, you essentially could uh, do whatever you wanted to do. And you, you were essentially, you know, making the road as you went, you know, you were leveling out the trees and making the road as you went through the forest. And I mean, now a lot of that road has been paved and uh, you have to follow certain protocols and procedures and, 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 you know, things have gotten stricter. So for example, you know, back in the day, Apple was a lot more relaxed on what kind of apps they would allow into their app stores. I mean, now they've gotten these protocols and procedures in place, and they're very, very strict on what they'll allow and what they won't allow. And, and, and you know, you're, you're, seeing, you're seeing more regulation. I, I think mm-hmm. 
that that's the main point here is that you're seeing more regulation and you're, you're seeing more of that. And we're going to see a lot more as we move along. Uh, you're seeing it at the government level, but you're also seeing it at, you know, the company level where there's a lot more regulation and there's a lot more push for regulation on security, privacy, you know, data collection, you know, transparency, all these kind of things, which, you know, there was none of that, uh, you know, when, in the wild, wild west, as I call it. I mean, there was none of that. You, you, you could do whatever you wanted to do and you could make up whatever you wanted to make up. And you pretty much got away with it. Patrick, don't be afraid to cut me off, man. You're more than welcome to cut me off. This is your stage. I'm just asking questions. I'm curious about the whole, the whole industry. And you are a plum full of information that I'm just willing, waiting to dive into. So don't be afraid to cut me off at any point. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> You're All perfectly right. fine. So let's talk about uh, LiveHive, right? The buzz surrounding LiveHive. Uh, for people out there who don't know, just a quick kind of dirty, nitty-gritty rundown. Uh, you guys are in the development of digital marketing solutions, gamified marketing applications, and digital games designed to appeal to a broad cross-section of users on PCs, smartphones, tablets, wherever, right? Formed last year. So you guys have, have really kind of uh, been through your first year already. This is the first year anniversary coming up soon for you guys. Uh, what exactly um, have you learned in this first year? Well, I, I've, I've learned a ton. And I, I've learned that the the market is definitely ready for what we're actually building. And, and even then some. I mean... Uh, you know, my CTO, he gets contacted all the time uh, by various companies. He primarily has like an outsourcing development company. He gets contacted all of the time. Uh, he, he's my CTO and also my partner. And he gets contacted all the time uh, by companies that are looking to, you know, implement uh, gaming solutions and integrate those into their product offerings and their service offerings. And, you know, that, that's part of where the concept of LiveHive came from is that, you know, we love making games. And right now, I mean, you know, console is packed. Mobile is just a nightmare uh, to be on mobile these days. And uh, we, we love making games. So we love making games and we love e-commerce and we wanted to fuse those two together. And, and it kind of, you know, uh, participate is in, in some sense is like a Steam kind of meets Groupon in, in, in a sort of way in sense and create really fun interactive games uh, that offer prize and incentives for, for completing certain tasks in the game or completing certain challenges in the game uh, that are offered by brand owners. And I mean, this is an incredible tool because this allows you as a brand owner, particularly with COVID, COVID kind of, you know, really, uh, you know, amplified all of this. Uh, you, you know, COVID mm -hmm. made it so that if you weren't online, you were basically dying. I mean, at one point, you know, storefronts were closed. You had to have some form or some resemblance online to really move forward. And so, you know, this is where LiveHive comes into play is that as we move forward now in this new dichotomy, because every small business is going to have to change their playbook moving forward. And as we move forward, uh, you know, over the next two, three, four, five years, uh, you know, look, I mean, you, you're talking about a massively worldwide saturated marketplace. You're mm -hmm. really going to have to separate yourself from everybody else out there. And I mean, a great way to do that is through interactive games. And, you know, this all makes sense. I mean, if you look at just kind of the evolution of engagement, right? Mm -hmm. So, again, I mean, you know, we started out with Twitter, microblogging. I mean, that's text. You know, text is cool. But, but I mean, Instagram was cooler because now you have, you have images. Images engage more than text does. And then you move from images to video. And Facebook was big on video. And now you've got LinkedIn and live and you have live feeds and you have podcasts and all these different things. So we're, we're constantly trying to make up for the social equilibrium of not being in front of somebody. And we're constantly trying to do that to, to get as close to resemblance as real life as we can. 
And as we know from the cone of learning, I mean, you know, real life simu- you know, real life is the best way we learn. But what is next to that? It's simulation. That's why mm-hmm. if you've ever met an astronaut, you know, every astronaut you've ever met that goes into space, they do simulations over and over and over again before they ever actually go into space. Yep. I mean, they practice, practice, practice through gamified simulations. And it's the same if you look at our military, you know, they set up everything and they run tutorials and run it over and over and over again through, through decoys. And, you know, they stage uh, the cities and everything so that so that everything is as close to real life as they can get it, because that's where you get the least amount of mistakes. Yeah. And so, you know, this is just a natural progression that, you know, gamification or games is kind of the next step. It's the closest that we can get to real life simulation. And I mean, if you look at AR, you know, uh, you know, augmented reality or virtual reality, I mean, these are kind of the next stages to kind of really center your universe of wherever you are into this kind of like game world and game setting where you really feel like you're submersed inside something. And this is like where it's all going. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think that gamification, uh, you know, I've spoken with a lot of, you know, professionals in the industry. And I mean, we tend to agree on one thing. That, that gamification in marketing and business will be the norm in the next five to 10 years. It won't be something that we distinguish as a difference. It'll be something that is just kind of a given. It's a standard. It's like just a general standard. I like it, man. In it, terms of that. No, I, I like it. I, I agree fully with, with what you're saying about that. I mean, five, 10 years is probably going to be the, the biggest pivotal point for tech in this decade is going to be, it's going to be an amazing kind of evolution. We'll see. It's going to be fast paced. And I like as a CEO of yourself of, of an industry changing company like this one, I'm sure this is a very different pres- position for you than your previously held titles. And, and is, is it, is it more or less uh, kind of just an evolution of your previous positions or is this more just like something completely different that you haven't, you know, we're less excited by the aspect of it. Uh, look, I, I think that what, what excites me about this is, is the problem, the challenge, and then the, the, the potential solution or solutions that can, that can be offered. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, I mean, small business needs no introduction. I mean, you know, according to some things I've read on the government websites, I mean, there's more than 30 million small businesses in the United States alone. I mean, this is the backbone of the American economy. I mean, we're, we're really going to be aimed at the U.S. market. Uh, that's where we're going to tackle first, and we'll expand our reach globally with offices. But, but, but I mean, look, th- there's plenty to keep us busy here. And, I mean, you know, small businesses are really going to struggle to separate themselves. And, I mean, the story behind LiveHive is, you know, it was a couple of years ago. I had an, uh, an e-commerce business that I started. It was a Shopify store. And, you know, I, I ended up buying this business. I mean, that's a lot of what I do. I'll buy mm-hmm. a company and then improve it, you know, cut fat and then turn it into something. I mean, that's something I'm really good at, you know, a turnaround. Yeah. And so I bought this company. I paid a couple thousand bucks for it. It was doing $500 a month or something like that. Well, we took that, took that business and we, we redid some things on the website. We restructured some things, made it more visually appealing, uh, you know, put in a sense of better marketing, uh, built up the Instagram account, built up the community around the business. Uh, you know, and that's a big thing. The content factor is so huge w- when, you're, when you're building a business. I mean, you know, we haven't even launched our product yet at LiveEye, and we started our content like last November. Wow. I mean, we started our content almost a year before we actually w- would end up launching a product on the marketplace. I mean, because your content in your community is so big and it takes a long time. The content game is a long game. It's not a short game. 
So, you know, this e-commerce store, we bought it, it was doing $500 a month. Within five months after our acquisition, I mean, we scaled that thing to, we were selling about twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 a day worth wow. of products. So, you know, we scaled that thing big league, which I'm good at scaling businesses, uh, you know, and, but again, I mean, we, we, we were selling sunglasses. I mean, it, you know, it's not the product we were selling. We, we were just hitting the right market at the right time. We had a good community effort behind it. We had a lot of support. And I think that's the big thing. I think when people start businesses, I think one of the reasons they fail is, is, is you, know, you know, it's in part, you know, if you have capital restraints or mm-hmm. you're not very good at managing your, your capital or any capital that you have, or you don't have access to capital. I understand those things. But even when you get lots of money or you have an investor coming to bring lots of money, you still have a social responsibility to be a good steward for that money and make sure that every cent that you're allocating is allocated towards the business and it achieving its goals for that quarter, that, you know, that year or, or you know, that fiscal period. And, and I think that a lot of people forget that. I think they get too excited that they have a lot of money and, and they, I mean, look, for Life Hive, I'm working for $2.40 a year. That's my salary. Now, wow. I'm not advocating that people out there do that. I'm <laughs> saying that I'm in a position that I'm able to do that. And I definitely don't want to be a capital restraint on the company. In fact, my entire executive team is working for about $12 a year wow. uh, to the company is what it costs the company. So again, I mean, I was able to go in and cut some deals. Look, I'm a deal maker. You know, I'm a guy that goes in and cuts deals. That's what I do. And I was able to cut some really good deals that were beneficial to the company to get the resources, everything that it needs so that the company could grow at a pace that was acceptable to me to really get us off the ground and get us out there, you know, get the airplane in the sky, so to speak. And so, you know, that's kind of what we did. But I mean, that was the whole point of Life Hive is, you know, we built this e-commerce business. I I mean, I was paying like 10 different companies, uh, Kevin, for for all these Mm -hmm. apps that basically should have been under one umbrella. I should have been paying one company. All these apps were very interrelated. You know, they were all very similar in nature. I should have been paying one company. And when you pay 10 different companies, you're paying for 10 different companies, development, R&D, overhead, taxes. You're paying for all of that 10 times. And it's a lot easier to pay one company for a suite of products than it is to pay 10 different companies for one single product that you need. And particularly when these were all very, very relatable. I mean, they weren't too far off the mark from one another. So anyway, we thought with LiveHive that, hey, you know, we, we would, you know, bring some products to the table that really solved real solutions that business owners go through. And, and, and you know, again, every e-commerce store has kind of the same problems, right? How do you get conversion rates higher? Mm-hmm. So how do you get higher, you know, how do you get a higher amount of your web traffic to convert as customers? You know, the other issue you have is how do you get your order values up? How do you get that average order value higher? You know, how do you get orders per customer up? I mean, how do you get people to come back and buy from you again once they bought at the beginning of the funnel and have moved through your sales funnel? And then the other issue is, is how do you separate your brand from everybody else when you all sell similar products? So you mm-hmm. all offer similar things. Well, this is what a, a solution like LiveHive can offer, a, you know, a business owner. Is something like that where they can make custom branded things or engagement tools or pieces of content for their business that are going to engage with their users and provide incentives and, and bring them back. For example, our tournaments, you know, tournaments allow people to come back. So once you've had a customer, you send out a tournament link, they all come back, they compete, you set it for a month, a week, however long you want, mm-hmm. you offer whatever prize you want, they can come back and at no additional cost or no additional purchase, purchase necessary, that they can compete in tournaments and actually, you know, re-engage with your brand, get reacquainted with your brand on the back end. 
I mean, these are great tools to bring people back and keep them engaged. And that's what it's all about in business. It's all about engagement. The companies with the most engagement make the most money. The companies with the least engagement make the least money. Yep. It's as simple as that. I don't see that changing, by the way. No, I that, really don't. That's an old school kind of kind of rule, and you're you're dead on about it. You know, it's been it's been the rule for past twenty years since tech has really taken off, and it's probably going to be the rule for the next fifty years. And and so obviously, uh, this kind of brand engagement, this kind of brand interaction between you know a business and their 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 audience is really important. You guys are pretty much the middleman for that kind of interaction, which is perfect. You guys find yourself in that We're perfect neutral venue. Exactly. Yes. You guys are right there in the in the heart of it, kind of just facilitating between the business and the, and the audience, which is awesome. And so with a business. Kind when this, with this business to business kind of industry where, you know, other businesses are your clients, what's an important thing to keep in mind? Obviously you mentioned, you know, capital restraints and stuff like that, but what else do you have to keep in mind when you're kind of talking to and, and trying to sell to these other businesses? I, I think, I think the main thing is, is that we, we really need to stick to what their struggles are. Mm-hmm. And look, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of programs out there, but I mean, you know, there's a guy named Keenan here from Denver that talks about gap selling. And I like, you know, how he structures kind of this, that, you know, a business owner could have the same problem, the exact same problem, but have it for very different reasons. And, and you need to be, you, you need to be in a mode where you understand the differences of each of those reasons. And that you understand that though your solution might work, it's going to work for different reasons. You, you need to be, have a high enough acumen that you can understand the differences and what those reasons might be. And you need to be able to, you know, outlay that in a peaceful and hopefully tactful and punctual way to whoever your future client would be. And, and I, I think that's kind of the key. But look, I mean, I think aside of that, uh, you know, look, it's, it's all about community. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it, it's never changed. Uh, the idea of a successful business today, uh, you know, people will tell me, you know, good luck with everything. I mean, you know, and I, I don't think luck really matters. I, I think it's another four letter word to me. It's W-O-R-K. You know, the, the, you got to work hard. I mean, you got to grind it out. It's just what it is. Uh, you know, there is no such thing in my opinion is just being lucky. You, you've got to go out there and really make things happen for yourself. And, you know, you've got to build a community around your business. I mean, if you want a long-term business and sustainability in the marketplace, you have to build a community at some point. Mm -hmm. You can either do that on year one or year zero, or you can do it on year 10. It makes no difference to me, but at some point you're going to have to cross that bridge. No, you're right. There, there is no such thing as luck, right? That luck is just preparation meets opportunity. That's really all, all it's about. And uh, you're, I mean, you're, you're a testament to that for the most part. And so uh, let's talk about like the actual stats, right? Like if somebody wants to know, man, like how are we doing with our, with our partnership with, with LiveHive? What kind of metrics do you present to them to kind of successfully determine that you've implemented a strategy for that company, for that brand in the, the best way possible that they've, you know, the, the service they've paid for exactly. Like what, what stats well, metrics you I, mean, I, I think, I think the first and foremost thing is that we're free. So mm-hmm. if we don't do our job, you don't pay us a nickel. <laughs> you know? And I like that model <laughs> because uh, that really comes back to, I either add value or I don't. If, you, you look, all of us have been through situations where we have paid people, you know, for what we believe, uh, you know, either either services or whatever it may be, that, that the value is not there. I mean, we yeah. ended up paying them a lot of money. And for what we paid them, we were unhappy, you know, uh, grossly unhappy with what we got in terms of services. And, and I, I don't really like that approach. I like the approach of value add that like, hey, if I can bring some value to your life, great. You know, but if I can't, uh, that's okay too. I mean, maybe I'm not the person for you. Maybe I'm not somebody you should follow. Maybe I'm not somebody you should pay attention to. You know, if I throw if I throw a dog a bone, I don't want to know if it tastes good. But if it tastes good, you can let me know. But if it doesn't, hey, you know, you didn't have to grab the bone. 
You know, you could have done something else. So, you know, look, for, from my perspective, I, I think that, you know, you, you really got to, you know, kind of saturate yourself in like who your customers are, what your product and service is, and then what problems are you really solving for them? If any, I mean, sometimes in business, uh, you realize that your business has no home. I mean, you've got a great idea, but it really has no home. It has no markability because you can't really solve any uh, of, of the products. You can't really solve any of the problems of your uh, customers. So this is something that you have to really consider like long-term in your business. That's all. Awesome. I mean, that's that's the the free. If, if it doesn't work for you, is a, is an awesome business model. And I, hopefully, I mean, obviously, you guys are, are implementing this in in a, in a kind of perfect way because you just launched your beta program a while back. So, what are you looking for from this beta program? You're looking for like issues with implementation, issues with you know the the gamification of of the of the brand. What issues are you looking to kind of work out with these uh, these uh, this beta program? Well, I think first and foremost, I mean, and we're, we're slowly unveiling parts of that. We haven't fully launched our beta. We're slowly unveiling parts. Uh, but I think first and foremost is we want to make sure that it's user friendly. I, I, I think that's the first and foremost mm-hmm. thing. You know, all of us is, is, is people over here that have designed games or been involved in game design in the past. You know, user friendliness is a big part. We want it to be simple. Uh, we want it to be easy so that people can easily get through the process and set up a game, set up a tournament, and even connect it with their website. So, you know, for example, through WordPress, we have a plugin you download, and then you're automatically connected. So, I mean, it takes a few minutes. And, you know, it, it's trying to take the tech component and make it as seamless as possible and, and it really take out the complication. So that's first and foremost. And then obviously, second to that is QA bugs. Uh, we want to make sure that, you know, our product and service is working is, is, is at the high standards that we really have for ourselves, meaning that there are no problems and things do work. And if they don't work, we hope that they're reported because we really want to fix those immediately to provide the best quality care of service that we can for the, the customers that we serve. I mean, that's a big part of it. And so that's what we're hoping to get out of it. And then also see the results. I mean, see how, you know, the, these, these games and tournaments and, you know, these different tools we have, these AI chatbots. I mean, how these things really interact in real time on on websites and, and, and through, uh, you, you know, uh, brand vendors and, and, and see the, the results and the impact. I mean, really, at the end of the day, we're hoping to make an impact. That's the whole point. We want to impact their sales figures. We want to impact their community. We want to impact their engagement. So, I mean, we want to make sure that we're upholding our end of the bargain. But again, as I say, you know, we don't expect to be paid if we don't do our job. <laughs> that's just the way it works. And that's how it should be. Globally, by the way. Yes. I mean, if you don't do a good job, in my opinion, you don't get paid. There's no free lunch. You shouldn't just get paid because you believe you should get paid, even though you did a terrible job. You should be able to stand by your work. And if you can't stand by your work, you really should be working on whatever you, you shouldn't be standing by. No, I mean, it's, it's a meritocracy. It's, that's a great policy to live by. And you know, I agree with it. And, uh, businesses live and die by that for the most part. And yeah, obviously you're basing your kind of, you know, if it, if it doesn't work for you, you, you get a free kind of model, which is perfect for a lot of businesses. And so, but you're well, delivering on it as friends. Yeah. You know, we part as friends. So if it doesn't work, I mean, you may be out a little cost of integrating it into your website, which is, you know, takes 20 minutes or whatever. Yeah. But I mean, beyond that, you're, you're not going to be out that much. And if it doesn't work for you, then it doesn't work for you. And we part as friends. I mean, but but it's not going to be a long gated thing where we've charged you a whole bunch of money and you're upset about feeling that you got ripped off. I don't, I don't like that 
kind mm. of situation. And I, I think everybody's been in that situation. And that's one of the worst feelings yeah. that you can take away from somebody you did business with. That's true. It's, it's, it's rough going, especially, you know, if it's, if it's uh, in my case, you have family involved in business. It's, like, it's a rough feeling all the way around, but that's the story for another day. Uh, that's a tough one. Kevin, really. <laughs> the, the, fam- the, the family integration. And, <laughs> that's Ooh, a tough man. One. You have it's no a clue. It's, it's a rough one, but uh, let's talk about the future a little bit, right? So you guys will launch this beta program soon enough, fully at some point soon. Uh, then you'll do a full launch at some point uh, in the near future. And so once that, once that is fully launched, right? What are some projects, initiatives you look forward to with Live Hive once you guys are fully launched, fully going as a business? You guys have the, have the foot on the gas pedal. You're going full, you know, all the way down. What's the future plan for Live Hive? Oh, it's, it, it, you know, it's, it's going to be compiling all these games into our game hub. I mean, this is a part of Live Hive that nobody knows of. We have two sides. We have the B2C side, the B2B side. So the B2B side will drive the B2C side uh, where, you know, we'll have a platform and a portal where, you know, users can log in, they can select their general interest, and then they're shown companies that, that, that are in our network that are based on those interests. And then you can go and play games on those companies' websites and you can actually get incentives and discounts for, from the very stores that you love to shop at or in the very sectors of stores that you would love to shop at. So, And then, of course, opening that up to third parties to have third-party developers eventually come in and, and make games for that platform. And then we do a rev share with them when they're used by our B2B clients. I mean, we've got this whole back end, but at the end of the day, it's really just about creating more interaction. So, mm-hmm. for example, uh, you know, creating multiplayer games that you can play together with your friends or tournaments in real time where you can actually synchronize with your friends and play uh, through various apps like Discord and things like that where you can come in and you can play games uh, you know, in real time with your friends. And I mean, it's, you know, again, it's just getting as close to that like real time interaction and that real time simulation as you can. That, that's ultimately the goal is to get it as close to real life as possible. And we're getting there every every year. We're getting closer and closer, and Live Hive is going to be at the forefront of that for the next 10, 20, 30 years, and hopefully beyond that as well. But, uh, Patrick, I threw a bunch of questions at you. You answered them, you know, awesomely. You're, you're full of insight. You're full of uh, this, this this beautiful <laughs> trove of information, really. And you were worried about sounding off with, with with your allergies. I thought you sounded great, man. Let's be honest. Well, I hope so. Folks, I, I hope I this man's talking with allergies. So. Don't believe him if he thinks he sounded bad. He sounded great. All right? <laughs> All right. <laughs> so Thanks. make sure you guys follow Live 5 across social media platforms like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, of course, you can go to uh, more at livehive.co. Keep up with their, their latest news. Also, catch, I believe you have a Live Hive podcast podcast as well so you guys are Actually, all over the place livehive.com it's dot com excuse me why am i yeah. saying dot co as if my notes are incorrect but <laughs> you guys also have the live hive uh, podcast available on podcast services everywhere if you guys want to get more in-depth uh, information and discussion on the gamification of brands and and certain this this is a growing market that really people should be looking at with more interest in the next 10 years or so so patrick if people want to follow you want to catch up with you uh, in your endeavors where can they get in touch with you where can they best do that I, uh, LinkedIn would be the best way to get a hold of me. I mean, I don't really do much outside of uh, LinkedIn Perfect. in terms of social media. That's the professional Facebook space right there. <laughs> I guess it is. That, that's one way to call it, right? Patrick, uh, thank you for coming on the show, man. I can't appreciate. Uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. But uh, it's, it's awesome what you guys are doing at Live Hive, and I wish you guys the best of luck. All right. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. He's Patrick Womack, CEO of Live Hive, and of course, I'm Kevin Correa right here on the Esports Network podcast. Yeah.